You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 156. Hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and you are going to love this episode because we are going to talk about managing up and that it's not sucking up. So what's the difference? It's not a set of insincere political maneuvers designed to fake your way to success. So in this conversation today, we are going to talk about practical approaches to build and maintain a productive relationship with your boss or any sponsor. So you're going to learn why waiting for your boss to change just doesn't work and why your success and your boss's success are actually inextricably linked. You're going to learn some tips on helping your boss trust you, which is absolutely critical to become an impact driver in your organization. And you're going to see how understanding your boss's or your sponsor's preferences and styles will help you maybe pivot a little and adjust accordingly. And how being proactive can make all the difference in the world to your success. You see where I'm going here? your success and their success tied together. So I am looking forward to diving into this episode to give you all the ways you can avoid sucking up while actually managing up. (laughs) Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by the Impact Engine PMO Implementation Program. In today's results-driven world, it's not enough to be good at your job. You need to be great at making an impact. You must be able to drive measurable value to the business through the high impact outcomes you're creating with your PMO. So there's no denying the clear cut advantage you bring to the team, the leadership team that is. The Impact Engine PMO implementation program is specifically designed for the PMO leader that needs the step-by-step process, the right resources, guidance and support to build, elevate, or even rescue a PMO fast, all while doing exactly what needs to be done from a leadership perspective to get and keep that seat at the table. Using my step-by-step process, training, templates, and tools, you'll know exactly what you need to do in what order, why that matters, and how to shortcut some of the pain, frustration, headaches, and mistakes that plague so many PMOs. Your fast track to the results your business leaders are begging you for is inside this program. Our Impact Engine PMO students come from all different kinds of organizations, large and small, across industries around the world, and they will tell you that this program has made all the difference in their success. So whether this is your first PMO or fifth PMO, you're trying to get your PMO started or get things back on track, we've got everything you need to be successful in this program. So come check it out at IE. PMO.com. That's I E P 
pmo.com or just visit us on the PMO Strategies website and we'll guide you the rest of the way. I can't wait to welcome you into your future high impact PMO today. Okay, let's do this. With me today is my dear friend, Andy Kaufman, a recognized expert on leadership and project management, helping organizations around the world improve their ability to lead and deliver. Now, Andy works with leaders at the United Nations, NASA, and other global clients to improve their ability to deliver on their initiatives. And of course, with as much impact as possible. Now, before becoming an internationally sought after speaker, Andy started as a software developer, we got that in common, and was promoted into management for all the wrong reasons, which is awesome. I can't wait to hear more about that. (laughs) He is also an author of three books and host of the awesome podcast, People and Projects Podcast. Now, that podcast provides free PDUs through interviews and insights for his global listeners. And so if you're listening to this podcast, you will definitely be interested in hearing the kinds of guests and interviews and topics that Andy covers on his. So definitely give that a listen as well. So with all that said, Andy, I am so excited to have you here. I cannot wait to dive into this really important topic for all of our PMO leaders. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Laura, I've been looking forward to this. Any excuse to have an interaction with you is great. So thank you for having me on the show. Oh, you are such a dear. Thank you so much. Okay, so Andy, before we dive in, that was the formal Andy is a rock star, which I already knew, and now our guests know as well. Anything else you want to share about you and your background or just a little uh, bit about Andy? Well, you know that thing about being promoted for all the wrong reasons? Yes, you know, I can. My guess is you've either seen it or the people listening to us have seen it or experienced it, but I was a reasonably good software developer. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. probably not as good as I thought it was, but I was okay. And sometimes what happens is someone might be good at a call center and they're like, oh, there's an opening. Let's make that I'm a manager of the people in the call center. Right? And that was right. kind of my situation. And I just made so many mistakes when I was first promoted. Mm-hmm. I tried to be people's buddy. I didn't delegate the way I needed to. There's so many things that were required at that new level that I just wasn't prepared for. So that, so anyway, in the bio, that's kind of the backstory. The reason why I have a passion for helping people is I've made so many mistakes on this stuff over the time. And that was, then I had to learn how to go and become from a manager to a director. And then I got to a vice president. I had all kinds of imposter syndrome. Like, am I a VP? Like, do I, do I have what it takes here? And all these things that I think as people grow, even within a PMO that we struggle with, like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, those sorts of things. So anyway, I've oh, been there. <laughs> Andy, you are just preaching to the choir here mm, because I remember it. like I got the chance to build my first PMO in 1999 yeah. and I actually started in software development and web development before that as well yeah. and transitioned into project management because that was so fun to like get all the people yeah. together to make big things happen. I just yeah. fell in love. Right. Yeah, right and yeah. so I got the chance to build my first PMO in 1999 with literally no prior PMO experience. <laughs> right. And little management experience. Mm-hmm. Right. At that point, I was a baby. I was in my twenties yeah. and I was yeah. like, what am I doing? Yeah. So yeah. I was having to learn a lot of things the hard way, which meant I've got like, I am covered in battle scars of 15 years of building and running PMOs, having to learn most things the hard way. And even as a manager and a director and Mm -hmm. vice president and Mm -hmm. sitting on the management team for companies, well, gosh, if I knew 
then what I know now, isn't that the story of life? Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. Sometimes people go, would, would you like to go back in your twenties? And probably feels like not if I had to be the same idiot I was when I was in my twenties. <laughs> exactly. yeah. But there's some interesting research on this, that 70% of the way we learn things is having to do them. I yeah, mean, we've, got, for sure. we've got five kids. We've never thrown any of them into the deep end and go, and that's how you learn to swim. I hear it works. <laughs> I think it sounds like child abuse, but there is something about you want to run a PMO. I mean, Oh yeah, learn, I learned learn the hard your way. engine. I mean, you yeah. take advantage of the learning that you make available to people. But oh, there is sure. something about it. Take the class, but you got to do it. You know, and so, right, exactly. We, we earned our scars for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Andy. That's literally why I was talking about the our Impact Engine PMO program, and that's the whole point of it is that we it's not a training program it's a let me guide you through the journey you're about to go on to set up your first or your fifth pmo and all the things that you did wrong before i'm going to help you figure out why that didn't work and what to do differently and if this is your first time boy are you lucky because i get to save you so many of the headaches and frustration and explain do it this way not that way and here's why and here's how and here's what to do and let's go through this together and that's the only way i want to teach because i think it's the only way that you really Right. gain the right. real experience. Some right? That 70%, right? You have to do yeah. it, but you've got a mentor. You got a little Laura yeah. Yoda walking along with you there. <laughs> you. That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, Andy, I just think you're wonderful. And I can't wait to dive into this because you were the perfect person to talk about this topic because mm-hmm. I've just seen the way, and we first met sharing a stage at a conference, yeah, yeah. thanks to David Barrett, right? right, He's, right. Uh, right. Thanks yeah. to him. We were yeah. ended up at the same place at the same time. And I just have always loved just the way that you are able to help people see a new way of looking at how they solve a problem and why it's in their best interest and doing so in a way that makes people feel comfortable in the process. So soothing and supportive. And I think it's the five kids. See the oh background music. <laughs> exactly. We need a little like meditative music as we're going right. through this because it's not, it's going to be gentle, but you're going to cover why you cannot suck up in order right, to exactly. manage up. So it's yeah. very important. We're going to be very gentle, then bam, then we're going to give it all to them. But anyway, so let's dive in. I really think this is going to be a good one. And I'd like to start with the most obvious question. Why is this so important for PMO leaders specifically, the concept of managing up? Why is this Mm -hmm. for our audience here, impact drivers? Why is this so important? I don't know about you, Laura, but I feel like in university, I wasn't taught this. I feel Mm -hmm. like in my early experiences at work, like no one taught this to us. I mean, it's just one of those things where you kind of learn it through getting those scars that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And so it depends on which study you look at, but there's plenty, almost everything that I've looked at that said, what are the leading causes of success with either projects, programs, PMOs? It almost always has executive sponsorship at the top or close to the top. Right? Yep, for sure. And you look at the stuff that's lower on the list, the mm-hmm. things like formal methodology and yeah. you know, estimating and stuff like that. We often dance around with those lower things. But one in particular, I'm thinking from uh, the Standish group, if you took, I think it had reliable estimates, formal methodology, and something about requirements combined, those didn't add up to the impact of executive sponsorship. Oh and my so, gosh, this yeah. is Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Because what if you have amazing estimates, a crystal clear understanding of requirements and a world-class methodology, but you don't have executive support? Where's your, where's your project going? Exactly. So this, this whole topic of managing is critical. 
Well, and it's funny you say this because this is something I've been talking to PMO leaders about from a similar perspective. When you look at the strategy life cycle and you say, okay, there's defining the strategy, delivering on that strategy and realizing the benefits of that strategy, realizing the impact, right? And, and most PMO leaders spend all of their time focused on quote unquote, fixing project management, right? Mm-hmm. The executives hire them and they say, okay, you're here because we can't get our strategy delivered. So go fix project management. That must be what's wrong. And as great PMO leaders, many of whom grew up as project managers, that's what they know. That's the lens they look at the world through. So they're there busy fixing project management. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Where the real problems are happening before the projects ever start. With that lack of sponsor engagement, with that inability to prioritize the initiatives, Mm -hmm. with the desire of business leaders to shove 10 pounds of projects in a five pound bag, right? Right. Like we don't have the resources for this, but we're just going to keep shoving it in, right? And so we keep trying to fix project management, right? And spending our energy there and no time at the front end of the process where things are actually being broken before the project ever starts. So well said. And I think to be fair to sponsors, sometimes they don't know what they're supposed to do. Of like, course like, they don't. Because like you said, to them, well, we just need templates or we need a new method. Bring in Agile or bring in whatever. Right. They think that those are the answers, but why should they know any differently? And so that's kind of why this is so important. That it's almost like we have to help them know, not because they're idiots, but because they don't have the experience or they don't have the perspective. So how can we help them? That's why I like, it's not sucking up. It's really trying to help this sponsors in many ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and so I want to play with this a little bit because- mm-hmm. We're saying, okay, so the, our job is to kind of help them because they don't know how to be sponsors. And I agree. Listen, nobody's born with a sponsor checklist of like, or a sponsor job description, right? You're not born that way. Now there are people probably you've run across, you're like, oh, they just knew what to do, right? Super empathetic, asked all the right questions. Somebody taught them somewhere, right? And somewhere along the way they learned that, but most of them don't because for many reasons, like getting promoted into management and getting for all the wrong reasons, right? right? (laughs) They don't know what they're doing and they're not going to tell you that. Mm -hmm. But I would say that many of our PMO leaders might, the yeah, but monster might crawl up on their shoulder Mm -hmm. right about now and say, yeah, but why is this my responsibility? And you talk about this in your Mm -hmm. keynote that it, it starts with us, with the PMO leaders, the project managers, and that we need to be the ones that are taking that initiative to manage up as opposed to expecting our sponsors to know what to do. But why, why is that the case? Why should it be that way? Yeah. Why, is, why is it up to us? It's a fair question because at least in theory, they should be the ones who are like, help me understand. I don't understand, right? They, they should be coming to us and do that. In a perfect world, they do that. I had the opportunity to interview Mary Abajay on the podcast and she wrote a book called Managing Up. She had this quote that was something along the lines of, once I gave up the hunt for villains, it's basically I had to take responsibility for my choices. And it's, she says, I'm like, needless to say, it's less satisfying than going after villains, <laughs> but it also turned out to be more healing. And so yeah. her point is, I think it's a lot easier to just blame management. Like if we're just like, you know what? I just, I can't believe that person is a sponsor. They, they're so clueless. I, I think right. it's so much easier to just blame and complain. And I don't know if you ever came across Christopher Avery's stuff with the responsibility process, but it is, mm. it's powerful. He's got this, he's got this like ladder of responsibility and on the bottom, it is blame and justify and I think mm. what, what's easy for a lot of us to do when we're leading programs and projects, we, we, it, we, it's easy for us to blame our stakeholders, blame our, and, and we do it in a sophisticated sort of way, but really what it comes down to is it's just blaming and justifying. There's nothing I could do. And he, where he goes with his process is 
no, we have to take responsibility. Like we, we don't don't right. be a victim, PMO leader. Right? Don't, don't be a victim. It's, right. it's just because they're the boss and you're not doesn't mean that we are victims here. It's like what can we do to take the initiative? And there there are some specific things we can do to try to do it. But once I learned Christopher's process, where blame and justify are at the end. Mm-hmm. Once you get that vocabulary, you can't unsee it. And it's just uh, so easy to see people that are all, that's all they're doing, blaming and justifying. They're not taking responsibility. Like, what can we do to make it better? And oh, so that's, that's what really we're trying to advocate for. Yeah. Well, and I honestly, that's the story of my whole life as mm-hmm. just taking responsibility myself. And just if I want something and now this can be a trap, right? So all of you impact drivers listening, you're like, oh, well, Laura says, if you want something, just do it yourself or go after it. <laughs> eh. No, I'm saying drive it. I'm not saying you have to do it yourself, but you cannot blame others for your reactions. And shoot, this comes in real handy with our kid, right? We have a 14 year old. You've got a handful of children yourself. So you've been through 14 a few times. And a lot of what my husband and I are trying to teach him is what we call the first start and the second dart. Like the first start is your immediate reaction to whatever the situation is. And that is really hard to control because it's happening subconsciously. But then you have the second dart and that's where you make a choice. Right. And that's where you're able to say, okay, am I going to take responsibility for the situation that I'm in and do something different with it or how I'm going to react or respond to this situation and own it? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to be a victim and let things happen to me? Right. And so that's kind of the story of my life. That's good. And for that, that child to get it at 14, there are some uh, 44 year olds that still haven't got that. Yeah, well, and I, well, let's just say he understands it and he hears it, whether yeah, or not he's not yeah. a pro yet, but he's, he's 14, right? Yeah. So. Well, on my best days, I get it as well. On my worst days, I am masterful at blaming and justifying. I, it's, a, it's a gift. <laughs> well, and I think it's important for us to share this with the audience mm-hmm. so that like all of our impact drivers listening understand that this is a process, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like all of a sudden you're perfect with all of this, but, but it is important for us to take, we we have to take responsibility for our situation because Mm -hmm. we can't control how other people react in a situation. We can't control what other people do, but we can influence. Mm -hmm. And part of that influence comes from our own behavior, right? And how we are in a situation. So I think that's important for people to understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. Like that quote was, it's more satisfying to blame, it feels yeah. like, but it just doesn't fix anything. And so right. what I find is when I whine, and once again, I could outwine you, Laura, any day of the week, right? So I can, I'm pretty good at, but when I whine- <laughs> Would you stomp I, your foot as well? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I'm probably right when I'm whining. People yeah. will agree with me and it doesn't fix anything. Right. You know, that's the right. problem. And time is often short from a leadership perspective. Some PMOs don't live past two years, right? So time is short. Like how can we take advantage of this time, not waste the time and try to help our sponsor help us, right? That's right. really what it comes down to. Right. Well, and you touched upon something that's really important that I just want to pause on because check out this statistics. 50% of PMOs that are attempted never launch. Mm-hmm. And of the 50% that launch, 50% of those fail within the first, actually it's now two years instead of three years is what the data is saying now. So they're failing faster and it's still the same number, right? So we're seeing really high failure rates. And I would suggest, and as my pro side change management certification would tell me, the most important success factor or failure factor of project change of any change that you're trying to create is the executive sponsorship, right? So we already know that without our sponsor, we are not going to be successful in driving this change, whether we're running a PMO or projects, it doesn't matter. 
without them actively engaged, supporting, being responsible, being a part of the solution, we're not going to be successful. A PMO is no different, right? In that it is a change we're bringing to the organization. Now, of course, my take is you're building a business unit, not a project. So you don't follow the project process, but you still have Mm -hmm. your sponsorship for your function, right? So that's still really important. And I think that you are exactly right when you talk about the sponsor role and our role is being tied together, as I like to say, inextricably linked, meaning you cannot separate them and one be successful and the other not. So can we talk about your perspective on that and why we benefit when we realize about that connectivity and the need for both to be responsible and drive success together? Yeah. yeah. Cause Laura, I've seen it sometimes where people are like, well, you know what, this person is uh it's, it's like the joke where I live in Chicago. If you don't like the weather, just wait 10 minutes because it'll change. And sometimes yeah. people feel like that about their management, just hunker down. This person oh, yeah. will go off a cliff and then we'll get somebody who's better or something like that. But I had a conversation with the guy. He was a direct report to a C-level mm-hmm. and he was just complaining about the decisions that are being made. And I don't remember exactly Laura, what he said, but it was something along the lines of, I can't wait to see him go off a cliff and I'll be waving on his way down. <sighs> and I just thought the thing is, what happens too often is we don't realize our, sometimes there's a chain of that. <laughs> we're tied to that person going off the cliff because yeah. if they go down, someone else is going to come in. They might bring in their own people and things like that. And a more positive way of looking at it is the reason I went from a manager to a director role was somebody who I reported to in the past. I helped make them successful. When he got promoted, he brought me along with it. Yeah. And so a lot of times career-wise, our success is tied to their success. Right. And with our initiatives, it's true as well. If they don't sponsor the project well, if they don't, if they're not a good voice for what our business unit is, if they're not a good voice for it, we're not going to get the visibility that we need. So I find it's helpful, even if it feels hard, even if I don't even want it to be true of like Mm -hmm. my success is tied to this person, this person's success is tied to me, both. Right. If I think of it that way, if I remind myself of that, it can sometimes get me in the right frame of mind. And so things that we talk about are hey, what are their objectives? Like, do you know how they're being measured? Do you, do you know what their bonus is on? Right. And now that might be publicly available, but what is it that keeps my boss, whether it's a boss, a sponsor, maybe a key stakeholder, but mm-hmm. what's them awake at night regarding what we're doing? Mm-hmm. And how do they like to be communicated? All that stuff. If I know what their objectives are, and I can make it really clear. I am about helping you be successful. <laughs> like that should, there should never be any doubt in their right. mind that right. our mission is to make them successful. Right. You know? And you can go so far as to say that, like yes, you can say right. that. Right. <laughs> and, and I think they can kind of tell based on how we interact with them. And so if that's not true to us, that I want them to be successful, we, we need to right. look in the mirror on that one and kind of take it to heart. But it's one of those things of what could I do today? to help my boss be more successful? How can I do that and make sure it's clear? And that's where it might come off as sucking up, but it's, we're not doing that simply for our career. We're also doing it for our initiatives. We're doing it for the people around us. Right. If our initiatives are successful, it's going to deliver more value across the organization to our clients. It's really just part of this process of we're dependent on them. Right. Dependent on us. So let's make right. sure it's a good relationship. For sure. For sure. All right. I'd like to get really practical because this audience is all about great. You've sold me. And now what do I do exactly? Right. And so they want to know, just tell me what to do. So um, can you give an example of like a leader that was a challenge for you to manage up and maybe some Mm -hmm. of the things that you did to 
handle those challenging situations? Because I think some people are like, okay, I get it. If I like my boss and they're taking care of me, it's easy to take care of them. But what if I don't, or what if it's really challenging? What do you do then? Do you have any examples of that? Yeah, it was when I was a vice president, my senior VP, her name was Cindy and probably the toughest boss I've ever worked for. Before Mm -hmm. then, I'd had pretty much nice bosses. I'm I'm a pretty laid back person, all things considered. And so, but, but the thing is, if you're really pleasant and you've got a hard charging boss, yeah. sometimes that can come off as I'm not so sure Andy's got what he needs to have here, you know? So I'd be, uh, so this would be an example of the meeting. I'd be leaning way back in my chair. Some meetings I'd take my shoes off because why not be comfortable? I'd be cracking jokes in the meeting, <laughs> things like this. You know, Laura, so what do you think that hard charging boss, that driving oh. boss is thinking about Andy right about now? What do you think? Yeah. And I could see myself many years ago when I was a hard charging boss, looking at you going, dude, are you going to join us here? Any interest Mm -hmm. in making sure we're successful? Mm -hmm. I could imagine feeling that way in that role back then. Now (laughs) I learned to appreciate the strengths that everybody brings Mm -hmm. to the table. And I'd be sure to put you on the programs that needed that kind of personality. But back then I probably would have been like, oh, what's going on with this Andy guy? He doesn't even want to be here. Yeah. I don't think she ever said, Andy, you're a slacker or, <laughs> but, but I, but I think there are times where she felt he's not being tough enough on his teams. Now yeah. I, I was being appropriately directed with my teams, but the thing is, I think a lot of us don't understand how our behavior sometimes betrays our intentions. Mm-hmm. And so to deal with this, to manage up, to manage Cindy, one of the things I had to learn was I need to adjust my style. And yeah. I think sometimes, Laura, people feel like, well, yeah, but that's not authentic. Do I have to become like Cindy? That's not who I am. That wouldn't be authentic. And I interviewed uh, Herminia Ibarra. She, she's a London Business School professor. This brilliant book called Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. I'm pretty sure the title is. Mm-hmm. And she has this interesting line, Laura, that I, I, I haven't been able to shake because it's important, I think. And she says, sometimes we use authenticity as an excuse to not change. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. You can still be yourself and be adaptive and flexible in the environment that you're in so that you can help your organization, your team, your people, your boss, your sponsor, do what they need to do, accomplish what they need to accomplish, be successful. So that's, I have a, like a lesson in my PMO program on adaptive management styles, specifically Mm -hmm. walking people through who you need to be in order to serve the people you're with (laughs) in wherever they are in the change process. Right. Right. And that's the whole thing. And it's, it's like one little lesson inside this huge program, but I feel Mm -hmm. like it's that important because when you get to the point of implementing the changes in your PMO, you have people that are in various stages of their change journey. Mm -hmm. Some people that are on board, some people that aren't, you have to be nimble and flexible in your own style in order Mm -hmm. to reach them, connect with them and feel like, that you get them as opposed right. to being worried about being one rigid certain way yourself. Right. Yeah. Instead of I am who I am. Deal with yeah. this one of those things. That's so, laziness. Well, it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you could say it's a cop out, right? And so yeah. in the meetings with Cindy, things like more like leaning forward, making sure what, what are her preferences? So she like things yeah. in rows and columns. So reporting data, my own personal style, Laura, I might mm-hmm. say, well, we could do this or we could do this. Yeah. She, what she wants, this is the plan. This yeah. is what we're doing. So is it faking it? Well, I don't know. It's in the moment saying, what is the best? I love how you said it. It's something like, what is the, who do I need to be in this moment? Right? Something yes. like that. And yeah. so in that moment, when I'm interacting with Cindy, this is not the time to crack a joke. There are plenty right. of times where humor works great. This is not one of them. That's what the class clown would be. 
not what the head of the PMO needs to be right, right now in this moment. Right. And so learning to adjust for probably five to 10 years after I reported to Cindy, Mm-hmm. When I would be talking about her in whether it be a class or a chemo stuff, I used to say she's the best boss I ever hated to work for. I don't say that. <laughs> you know what I say is she's the best boss I ever worked for because she forced me to learn these lessons. Yeah. I, I have to learn how to adjust that person. I might as well have been speaking Swahili to her. I was not yeah. speaking her language. So learning the language of the business, learning their metrics, learning their KPIs, learning their objectives, learning how, what their preferences for communication. So yeah. it's adjusting to them instead of just saying, well, this is my way. Yeah. That's, that's oh my gosh. Credit. That's so good. And it's funny because as you're saying this, you're reminding me of several bosses that I used to have. Now mm-hmm. I work for myself and my bosses are yeah. <laughs> me. And I, my, <laughs> the voice is in my head, right? <laughs> exactly. But I think I remember, and for me, it's interesting, Andy, because as a female in a lot of male dominated fields mm-hmm. with working in a role like a PMO, where most people mm-hmm. don't understand it or have their own perceptions of what it should be anyway. Mm-hmm. And I found myself in a situation a lot of times, Andy, which where what I realized now was happening is that these female bosses that I had were trying to make me fit in mm-hmm. as opposed to appreciating me for my strengths, right? And they were trying to hold me down and what is it? It's not manage me, but just kind of box me in. Right. That's what the culture did to women in the organization and women were even doing it to each other. And, but at the time, all I saw was that I kept pushing myself up against some very difficult bosses mm. that wouldn't hear me, wouldn't like, didn't seem to be interested in, in helping me grow. Right. They said they were, but that wasn't the experience that was, that was my actual experience. Mm. Right. Yeah. It was the kind of like, we'll tell you one thing and then do the other thing. Right. So, so Sounds awful, but that is very much what a lot of people are dealing with now in organizations, men, women, doesn't matter. And one of the things that when you're saying that is probably my best boss, I probably learned the most from some of those experiences, Mm -hmm. because what I had to learn is how to thrive in an environment where I did have the odds stacked up against me, Mm -hmm. both from a brand of what the PMO was trying to create and all the change we're trying to create and all the challenges that we're bringing. And from these bosses that were not giving me the opportunity to thrive. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had to get really creative about managing up. And today, when I'm always telling my students and my clients, you must make your boss successful because then they have no choice but to support your endeavors (laughs) to continue to make them successful. Right. And that is the turning point. When I was able to take people that I'm just being totally raw and real because this Mm -hmm. is what our audience is dealing with. Mm -hmm. I was in situations where my bosses were jealous of me Mm -hmm. or they wanted to, like I said, contain me. And I had great bosses too that were like, fly, Laura, fly, like do your thing. I'm going to get out of your way. Right. But then there were others that were really, and this happens a lot for impact drivers. They were just trying to be contained too much and they weren't able to be successful Mm -hmm. as long as when I let go. And this is a really important thing. I teach my students when I let go of my ego, and having to be right, having to get credit and having to be the one that solved the problem. Mm-hmm. And I made all of my ideas seem like they were my boss's ideas so or the sponsor's ideas. Mm-hmm. Things got done. The things mm-hmm. happened. And at the end of the day, did I get all the credit? Mm-hmm. No, Bad. but my life got a lot easier yeah, and my bosses. Yeah, good. that's good. So yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. He says it this way. And I think it's along the lines of what you're saying is 
do you want to be right or do you want to make a difference or something like yeah, that? And, exactly. and I think and, and that's not an excuse to like lie or to whatever, right. but I love that story, Laura. That's a beautiful message that people need to hear. Yeah. yeah. When I just, you can't, you've, but it's hard because, and I hear this from my students all the time because they're bringing all these great ideas to the table, but they're trying to sell, mm-hmm. right? They're trying to convince instead of trying to get to the core of what you and I know, Andy, is the solution to all of this, which is the WIFM. Right. right. The what's in it for me, for them, as opposed to for us. Right. And I think that's my story on managing up is learning about what that with them is mm-hmm. and how you can let go of all of the needing to focus on your own with mm-hmm. Right. And focus mm-hmm. on theirs. And so to me, when you're talking about managing up versus sucking up, mm-hmm. it was not sucking up <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah, it was sure. very strategic. To solve a business problem, which is my ideas weren't getting heard, but if I could make them her ideas, they would. If I could let go of the needing to be right or needing the credit and just focus on what they need to be successful, then I was able to become more successful through that. So do you have any example or any ideas or suggestions for our audience on how to help figure out what your boss needs to be successful or how to kind of apply some of this? Well, yeah. And it's, I think... Like uh, I heard Christopher Voss once say that curiosity is the ultimate hack <laughs> in almost any situation. <laughs> curiosity oh, is the ultimate sure. hack. And so I think Cindy was giving me clues far more than what I realized. Uh, and by the way, I, I do feel compelled to say this because I interviewed the authors of a book called uh, Good Guys. It, mm-hmm. The subtitle is How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. Oh. And upon reflection, it could easily be that if a guy would have been in Cindy's role acting the exact same way, that I wouldn't have seen it in the same light, that maybe he was just being a tough boss, whereas Cindy was being, so I feel like with some distance from reporting to her and years of therapy, no, just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I feel like, I, I feel like sometimes we have to be aware of that. Like actually interviewing those authors was fascinating. Like women are interrupted three times more often than men. You know, mm-hmm. I just interrupted you by accident a little bit ago. So I, I think once you see those things, you can't unsee those again. So I try to, I try to keep that in mind. That said, people are giving us clues all the time. I interviewed yeah. this guy, he, uh, Dan Rust, he wrote a book called Workplace Poker. It's probably the best book I've ever read on office politics. And mm. it's not about smarmy tactics. It's really about paying attention. Mm. It's paying attention. We should never be surprised, I think he would say, if there's mm-hmm. a bunch of layoffs because we paid so much attention to what were the moods when people were walking out of those meetings? Have there been special meetings called? Like, like if we pay more attention. So I like to give this illustration in that I married way above myself. Laura. And like, I'll be working on some over the weekend and put together a plan. My wife will just walk up and go, eh, what about that? I'm like, how do you do that? Like, oh, how do you so just cool. walk up? Right. And, and see yeah. that. And so I, in my marriage, try to be like, all right, how can I get ahead of her? Like, how can I anticipate those questions? How can I do that? It's kind of a fun thing at home, but for Cindy, I had to be like, all right, if I, if I present this in the meeting, what kind of questions are she, is she going to ask? Yeah. Loved is when you had supplemental slides because you anticipate that sort of stuff. So there's this thing about, I think our industry is too reactive and what mm-hmm. if we were just getting more proactive. Classic problem with PMOs, we keep people informed. We update the dashboard. We send out the status report or whatever the, right. the, the mechanism, but informed is not the same as satisfied. So right. how do we, how do we get ahead of it? Just little things like that, trying to anticipate and getting ahead of it instead of having to react. Oh, that's so, so good. Yeah. I think that's the key to a lot of this is taking the time mm-hmm. to be like, you're saying, be proactive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that 
all of our impact drivers listening really struggle with the taking the time part, right? We want to rush through. We're constantly, you know, anyone listening, you are no longer allowed to use the word busy ever again, (laughs) ever again. You may have a lot going on, but busy is not the goal, Mm -hmm. you know, impactful, productive results oriented, like results focused. Those are the things that you want to be focused on and filling every minute of your day. And I am, I am the worst at this, Andy, I'll be like, oh, I've got five minutes. Maybe I could stop by the bank on my way to this point. And then I'm like, nope, because I'm going to hit traffic and I'm going to be late because I tried to squeeze too many things in, right? Like that's literally how I live my life. Everything is like, oh, I've got five minutes here or there. What could I do with it? Well, what we should be doing with those little moments of time, like you're saying and being proactive is anticipating, Mm -hmm. thinking about what that next thing is that we should be wondering about, or we should be asking about with the curiosity, like we talked about, how can I ask the right questions and, Mm -hmm. and, and anticipate what's going to be next? Because I think you're onto something with your boss giving you clues. Mm -hmm. I think that it's actually not that hard, but we're not taking the time to ask the questions. What do you think about that? I think that's it. And it could be, it could be little things about what do they, their body language when they see this report or that report. Somebody told me it was at a healthcare tech company just recently. Their boss likes charts that are in pastel colors, which cracks me up because that means every <laughs> every update is Easter and spring, you know, whatever. But yeah, yeah. but, but they, they learned that their boss appreciated that. I learned that Cindy liked things in rows and columns. She mm-hmm. she she wanted specific updates in a certain sort of way. Mm-hmm. Now maybe I think that's good or not, but it doesn't matter. What is it that would best you know, uh, follow those clues to how to communicate. And so if, and it does just require us to take the time to watch, not only just to listen to the words, but watch their body language and their vocal tone and how other, like this, um, uh, Dan Russ guy, the workplace poker guy, he says, become the boss whisperer. That's the term he uses. So who is it that seems to get the boss's ear that, that he or she sends, all right, that's a good idea, Laura. Like how did Laura do that, you know? And so once again, it's a matter of just, it's a matter of watching. I'm not saying it's easy or it's not overnight, but you can start looking for clues. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny that you say that because I've often had my students to listen to the podcast a lot or, you know, the next we have guest speakers come in. Oh, we should have you come in and talk to my coaching students. They you would oh, be so good. So yeah. I have guest speakers come in and talk to my coaching students and they come in and it's funny because they'll say to me, how did you know this is exactly what I needed right now? Right. Or how did you know that this was what I was dealing with? Or I'll send a message to my coaching students and I'll be like, hey, just in case you're thinking of this, this is something you might want to keep in mind or don't let yourself get stuck here. And inevitably, so many people respond and say, how did you know this was what's going on with me right now? Mm-hmm. And so, and I think it's because I'm paying attention yeah. to what my students need. I also was in that role, right? Mm-hmm. So that's helpful. Mm-hmm. But even if you weren't in that role, you can still just pay attention. Like a lot of times, is your boss like totally stressed out? Is your boss in too many meetings? Is your boss dealing with, you know, whatever challenges, what are they freaking out about? Like you said, what's keeping them up at night? Literally, I have a whole like Andy, you and I are so in sync on this. I have a whole module in my PMO program that is on this process, assessing your stakeholders, assessing your sponsor, assessing how change happens in your organization and paying purposeful attention, right? Like I think that is one of the biggest mistakes we make. And the reason we make it is because we're so busy, quote unquote, all the time. Right. right. And so we're not taking the time to do the work that will 
save you so much time later. Like every one of these impact drivers listening will tell you that you will be much better with a project if you invest the time in planning up front before you start executing, right? Every single one of you, I am sure you are nodding your heads right now. And you are not doing that when it comes to your stakeholders and your sponsor or your boss. You're not planning before you execute. And that is where your challenge, if you're facing challenges, some of you are probably like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm nodding my head all the way. But many of us, because we are pretending to be so busy as opposed to being impactful, productive and getting those results, we're not taking the time that you know, you're talking about and being proactive. Proactive is planning. That's what right. we're talking about the same right. thing here. This is something we know how to do, right? Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of just even watching the body language, you know, like, yeah. it, 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 and this is true at home as, as much as it is at work as well. Just, uh, I had somebody recently on, he, he debunked a lot of the body language, common knowledge. that isn't really true about, you know, crossed mm-hmm. arms means this or whatever, but it's the Delta. He just looking for the Delta. And so yeah, the boss is different. usually pretty chipper, you know, at the start mm-hmm. of a meeting, but they're not today. Well, mm-hmm. that might be a little bit, it's the, where is it that this is different? Paying attention is a little different. And we can mm-hmm. tell ourselves the wrong story about what's going on, but at least right. being aware of what's going on is like, hey, I wonder what's, some, what's going mm-hmm. on. Uh, And well, but let me just tell you, Andy, I do this all the time. And you know who doesn't like having it done to them? My husband. (laughs) I'll be like, stop thinking that when he hasn't even said anything. But I read his body language and he'll make the slightest little change to his face. And I know exactly what he's thinking because I'm paying attention. Right. But you can do the same thing with your bosses and then use it for good, not evil. Right. right? And make sure that you're helping them by Mm -hmm. reading them. paying attention. So I think that's so good. But let let me ask you one, one question though. Let's say you're new to a boss or to a sponsor and they don't trust you yet. Are there any particular, and I know saying, listen, I'm here to make you successful and then meaning it and then delivering on that is cool. But what else could somebody do to build trust if it's not there? Right. Like you're, yeah. you're talking about being, we're talking about all these things about being proactive and, you know, mm-hmm. making them look good and paying attention. But what if they're new? How do you start? Yeah. I had a conversation with uh, Francis Fry. She's a Harvard professor. With this. Really, it's a really, I think, a helpful book called Unleashed is mm-hmm. how do we unleash the people around us? Now, she, she's taken it from cool. when we're the manager to unleashing the people who report to us. But yeah. she has a section in there in trust. And one of the I think the interesting thing about her model is, I think the easy thing is to say, you build trust by being trustworthy. That's a yeah. line, right? So yeah. uh, another CIO told me this way, he goes, credibility is currency. So the way you build trust yes. is just, just being credible. Like do what you say, you know, just right. do what you say you'll do. That's right. it. But Francis in her model, she's, she's like, you know, we may think our arguments are brilliant, but maybe the boss doesn't. So is it, what is it that's causing the lack of trust? Mm-hmm. And one of the things is logic, you know, so maybe we need to improve our logic. Yeah. Maybe we need to improve our business case. Yeah. Another part is she calls it intentions. Is it clear that we have their best intentions in mind? And right. so, I mean, there's, there's a number of different ways we could go with it. I don't think there's any, you know, microwave version on trust, but I think that the biggest thing is like, usually when I'm working with a group, whether it's a coaching client or somebody on, on you know, honesty, I, I've never had anybody get back to me like, man, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I have an honesty problem. Like I have a real, we don't, we don't see that. But if I tell that boss, I'll get back to you. I lie party. all the time. All right. I lie all the time. Wow. I'm sure glad we had this conversation. Can I pay you more if we really, no, but, but the thing is that if I say I'll get back to you on Friday by noon Oh yeah. and it's not, and I didn't by Friday noon, we could say that's an honesty problem. You know, it's maybe not as bad as what 
it might seem, but you know, here's another thing on honesty. It wasn't near the book. Uh, honest to greatness was near the book. It's a, it was about honesty, but it wasn't just about speaking honestly. It was about seeing things honestly. So no. that's another way to build, develop trust. If I, yeah. if I, if every week I'm coming in like, oh yeah, it's all good. You know, it's all good. And it's not good. Right. That, you could argue that's an honesty problem and that's going to make it more difficult to, to develop trust. So being, I think sometimes when people micromanages us, it's often a trust issue, not a pathological mm-hmm. problem. I agree. They're, they're not sure that we're going to deliver. And right. so if we take what you and I were already talking about proactivity, Mm-hmm. Showing that we have their best intentions in mind. We're interdependent. Mm-hmm. We're doing everything we can. We're making sure our, our arguments are grounded in them, like what's in it for them, like you said. Right. You know, if, if you combine all that, it it may and probably will over time develop trust. Oh, for sure. For sure. And it's you've got to really believe it, right? I think the challenge we have is that we want to look good in front of a boss or a sponsor. So we tell them that everything is all sunshine and flowers when it's not. And then they don't trust us. Like I see this fall apart all the time, right? So we want to, we, we don't, we don't want to bring them bad news. And so, and we want them to trust us, but if we tell them what's really going on, they may not believe that we're worried that our credibility is going to go down because things are going wrong, you know, so we're not honest with them. And then the problems happen and then they start micromanaging because they have no, we have no credibility because they, we've broken the trust. It's like this vicious cycle, right? Where the opposite of what you're expecting happens and you just keep spiraling downward. Mm -hmm. But if you are in a situation where you need to build trust, but you have to deliver bad news, like, how do you bow? You're like, everyone's going, ah, I don't know what to do. Right. Cause I don't mm-hmm. want to, I want them to trust me and believe in me, but I need to tell them things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. And, but they're not going to, they're going to think they can't count on me. Yeah. Right. So it's like mm-hmm. all this anxiety and stress going on in people's minds. Mm-hmm. How can you build trust and, and be honest, but yeah. what's a way to deliver bad news when you, when yeah. you're in that situation? You know, the thing that really helped me a lot in this one, Laura, cause I think I probably had a tendency to put a little more silver lining on the cloud than what I needed. Like, so I, I, so it actually came off as it's a sunset, you know, it's not a problem. You know, one one person told me at their company, it's, it's crap down here, but it's fertilizer up here. You know, like, like (laughs) the message gets so shined up that, that people don't see it. So, but there's a a quote attributed to Colin Powell that said something along the lines of bad news is not wine. It doesn't get better over time. Ah. And I think that that has helped me because my tendency would be I don't have to tell them all of it because I maybe can fix it, but it doesn't get better over time and it kind of compounds and just gets worse. So here's, here's one really practical thing for the impact drivers is it was a case study uh, looking back at the rollout of healthcare.gov. So it's been a while, really struggling at scale. I've heard so many good things or good stories about bad things, good lessons learned from that whole project. And one of the, one of the findings was the bigger, the gap in power between the person giving the status and the person receiving the status. So the bigger, the gap in power, the more misreporting. So what does that mean to a colleague? I might go, yeah, we're screwed, right? Yeah, we're screwed to my boss. What do I say? Like, Oh, we've got some issues to your boss's boss. What do we say? Looking good. Right. (laughs) And if there's another level up, we're ahead of schedule. And so the bigger, the gap in power, the more this game gets played. So the, you know, to your question about how to deliver bad news, what I've learned is I have to be aware of that dynamic because this isn't just other people. This could easily be the person listening to us. This could easily be me where I'm, I'm going, I'm not going to deliver the message in a way that they need to hear it to know something's up. So be aware of that dynamic. 
am I, am I shining the message up? Am I saying status yeah. green when it's really red? Right. The other thing is to remember people play this game on us. And uh, so if we're, if we're interacting with different project, you know, areas yeah. and they're like, yeah, PMO, it's all looking good, all looking good. Maybe it's because there's a gap of power. They're going to afraid like you, they're afraid, like yeah. you said, they're going to look bad. And so that's where psychological safety comes in. Like, how can we make it safe for people to go, we're, uh, we're trending poorly. Yeah. You know, how can we do it? And I guess the easiest way on that one is just make it cool about talking about risks. Like risk yeah. should be breathing. Risk, risk isn't something that like, oh, you know, Laura brought up a risk. No, if we don't bring up risks, that's a problem. So, <laughs> right, right. So then bad news doesn't just like slam us. I mean, it will sometimes, yeah. but, but, but we were getting ahead of it because we're talking yeah. about risk. So it's an ongoing conversation about it. And wow. so, I mean, there's no easy way on it. I've, I've never, uh, I've never loved giving bad news, but you know, classic is don't bring problems, bring solutions and yeah. good, risk, yeah, yeah. good risk management. It's the same thing, right? You're, right. you're, you're talking about the risk, but what are we we're doing about the risk? So mm -hmm. those are just a couple ideas. Oh, that's so, so good. So good. I love it. I love it. I'm so glad I asked that. It's not that last one in there because mm. I think that was really cool to see. Yeah. Well, um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that any last thoughts, anything that you'd like to leave our impact driver audience with as they're kind of thinking about all that we've covered today? You know, uh, I, I learned this from Mary Abajay from her book, Managing Up. She's just, she's just a really entertaining, insightful person anyway, but she says about this, about a, uh, a boss or a key stakeholder or whatever. Yeah. She goes, Stop waiting for the unicorn <laughs> and start working well with the boss you have. You know? oh, like there, there, there's a former secretary of defense who said something along the lines of, you don't go to war with the army you wish you had, you yeah. go to war with the army you got. And I think that's true with our bosses. You, you, don't, you don't go to work. We, we don't build this business unit with the uh, leadership we wish we had. Right. That's right. who we got. Stop looking for the unicorn. That's right. who oh. we got. So good. All right, impact drivers, stop looking for the unicorn, live with what you've got and make that work. No excuses, no too busy to plan before we act, be proactive and invest the time in building those strong relationships because their success is the key to your success. All right. Andy, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really grateful. All of you impact drivers, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Before we go, don't forget that this episode is sponsored by the Impact Engine PMO program. This is an all-in-one step-by-step training and implementation program designed to help you build up level or even rescue a PMO, no matter if this is your first time or your fifth time building a PMO, you will be amazed at the things you hadn't considered that are the shortcuts to high impact PMO success. So don't waste any more time trying to Google your way to a PMO. Join us in the Impact Engine PMO program today and just watch how your world changes almost overnight. And you don't need to take my word for it. You can hear success story after success story right on our Impact Engine PMO program page and hear how others that are just like you are getting such big results following our step-by-step -step program. I can't wait to see you there. Just go to iepmo.com and reach out if you've got any questions. I got you every step of the way. All right, Impact Drivers, Andy, thank you again for being here. And I look forward to seeing all of you Impact Drivers soon. Bye-bye for now.